0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith corporate success is your goal c-suite success radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement c-suite success radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling if you're ready for success in corporate america welcome to your new home at c-suite success radio and now time for your host and c-suite executive coach
1: sharon smith Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you've set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, we have Don Barden. A classically trained economist who earned his MBA in global technology management and international business with an undergraduate BBA in economics and finance. Don's work challenges and motivates people to think deeply about their beliefs and reveals a plan to consistently achieve maximum leadership in communication, sales, and management. As an author, speaker, advisor, and corporate executive, Don's counsel is highly sought after by some of the world's most successful businesses. His experience with culture change and record setting sales success has drawn him to corporate and political leaders who want to tap into his real world experience in order to move their organizations to higher levels of achievement. Don specializes in corporate leadership and organizational change management. He is currently the CEO and owner of The Perfect Plan Company, which is diversified into talent consulting, technology staffing, TV, radio, and leadership training. His books are published in over 39 countries and his firm employs over 300 people based in Atlanta and Birmingham. Don is a special advisor to the Sue Sponte Foundation and a strong supporter of the U.S. Army's 1st Ranger Battalion based in Savannah, Georgia. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Don and learn how he defines success and the lessons he's learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. Welcome Don Barden to the call today. Don, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Hey, thank you, Sharon, for having me. I'm so excited.
1: Mm -hmm. I am, too. We just met about, what, a month ago down in Atlanta at an event and sat next to each other. You were a speaker, and I'm just really excited to have you speak today because I loved your message when we were down there.
0: Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I love getting to know you, too. Uh, It's a real treat. It's amazing, isn't it, how you can just be somewhere and not know anybody and then find out you got all this stuff in common. And you're working toward the same goal, and you just want to be nice to people and do good work. It's fun, isn't it?
1: It's excellent. You know what's really funny about that event? When I first got there, I just put my my bag at a table. I didn't care which table while well, I was tending to the books. And uh, other people sat down at the table, had put their stuff at the same table I was at. I'm like, cool. Cool. And then all of a sudden, they all got up at the same time, basically, and moved to, like, Jeffrey's table, someone else's table, the cool kid in the room, right? <laughs> what does that
0: tell you? Right? That, Everyone
1: got yeah, up, I yeah. Did. And I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> they didn't know me, they, and they knew him, and I wasn't even sitting at the table yet. So I'm like, all right, but who gets, who, who replaced them? You did. So it all worked out. Yeah, see, out. That's,
0: the, that's the universe moving the people out of the way so you and I could meet. Exactly. So there you go. I
1: love it. I love it. <laughs> Before we dive into the meat, I really want our listeners to know who you are and why this is going to be such an exciting call. Tell us who you are what you're working on what you're excited about and just what we need to know about you
0: wow thank you and and again i am so grateful and appreciative of you having me on the show i love what you're doing uh, and the message that you're carrying out and it's just fun for me to be part of it i'm I'm humbled and honored and i mean that so thank you um as far as me and what i do um that's that's a loaded question you know i'm a husband i'm a father I, i do everything i can with my family but um, th- that doesn't pay real well, right? So I, I, my job, what I do, is I'm CEO of one of Atlanta's oldest consulting companies. Uh, we've been around for about 42 years. The name of the company is 3, uh, CI, 3CI. And uh, we specialize in a lot of different things, uh, mostly around technology, change management, uh, and communication. But my particular field of expertise is in servant leadership. And if you say, well, what does servant leadership have to do with technology? Um, It actually has everything to do with technology because technology is running the world now. And there are things happening now, and we're doing things that five years ago we couldn't even imagine in our wildest dreams. And so with technology kind of coming to the surface of everything and employing so many people and creating so many opportunities that are out there, it's going at such a fast pace that people are looking around and saying, well, what are we really going to do with this? And and how do we communicate these great ideas? And what is it that, that, that we need to do? So my little field of expertise in servant leadership has been able to go to them and say, look, here's how the best and the brightest in the world do this. Here's what it's like to talk with somebody outside of your field, outside of your comfort zone. Here's the end result of what everybody's looking for. Now let's take your unique situation, your unique path, and let's figure out how to make it go even better toward this ultimate end goal and that serving people. And so the technologists of the world, the millennials, everyone seems to be raising their hand wanting to find a greater purpose. And my job is to help them navigate that and get there through my 30 something years worth of work, particularly in this subject. So I get to run to work every day, serving people by teaching them how to be better servants themselves uh, in whatever form of leadership they are, whatever time in their career they are, And whatever it is they do, we're all here to serve others. And if we can all get on that joint mission, um, it's a pretty good life. So that's what I get to do.
1: That's exciting, and I love what you're talking about. We're all here to serve others. I think so many people get wrapped up in the rat race, and I live in D.C., and it always feels like a rat race around here. Everyone's got political aims and goals and all of this that I think even government, who's technically here to serve the people, forgets to serve the people. And outside of government, individual leaders of whether you're leading a family or leading a church or leading a business, leading anything, a Boy Scout troop, it's about serving others in that leadership position. But I people forget because they're so busy trying to get to that leadership position. What do I have to do to get there? I want to lead. They forget that it's about serving others. What is it that people have to remember? What is it that is so often forgotten where servant leadership comes in and helps people transform their thought process?
0: That's that's a great question. Um, I think what most people don't realize is the difference between being a servant and service. Uh, Service is an action. Servant is a mindset, and it's a way of doing business personally and uh, professionally. And and to back up a little bit, uh, I can tell you how this all started, which really is the answer to the question. Uh, I spent about 25 years uh, working for Wall Street firms, uh, mostly on the financial institutional sales side. So I got to work on these really big deals and it was really cool, uh, both domestically and ultimately internationally. And um, at the same time, I had gone back to these companies I was working for and said, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you help me pay for the rest of my education? So early on, I got uh, my master's degree, in of, and then I ultimately went toward my Ph.D. Now, what's interesting when you get a big company, especially Wall Street people, paying for your education is they want something back for it. Um, they're doing it to be nice, but not really. You know, <laughs> they, they want the research. They want something to say, hey, we're willing to make this extra investment in you. What 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 are we gonna get for it? And I was really lucky. I worked for one of the most gregarious CEOs in Wall Street, and I had gone to him with the idea for my my thesis and my dissertation. And I I told him I said, look, there's something weird going on out here. I said, you know how you have a tendency to call me up and send me around the world at a moment's notice? Well, because of the our size and the type of money that we moved the people that we were working with in all these other cultures around the world. And I mean, Eastern Europe, when they were still, you know, kind of rebuilding trying to figure themselves out to China, Japan, uh, India, South America, North America, everywhere I went, they, they would send me. And I said, what's unique is that whenever I go somewhere because of who we are and the type of money that we're, we're bringing to the table for the deal, we're fortunate that they only send us their A team, So we get to work with the best and the brightest in every culture. And he looked at me and said, yeah, well, so so what? And I said, no, 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 there's something to this A-team. And, and just to put it in context, this is before LinkedIn, Facebook, cell phones, any type of connectivity, okay, just to put the timeline there. But what I noticed was that these people, the best and the brightest of all these cultures, if you took away language, you took away their little social style, their, their particular culture, wherever we were, if you took all that away and you said two people sitting there talking – I started to notice that wherever I was in the world, I was always talking to the same person. And again, there's no connection between these people. This is not even the same industry. There's no social media. There's nothing. But whether I was in India, Europe, South America, I swear it was the same person every time. So I said, look, maybe there's some like secret sauce about these people that makes them who they are, makes them the best and the brightest in their fields. And maybe we could replicate that secret sauce. Maybe we could inject it on ourselves and become better at, at who we are. So he said, look, if you if you can figure out this secret sauce around what these elite performers are doing, you know, the same around the world, even though we know we're not connected, then, yeah, we're willing to pay for that. So they, they funded the study. And the study's been published now. It's in a book called The Perfect Plan. And what it revealed was that, yes, there is absolute formula on how they open up every conversation with an attitude of gratitude. They clearly and concisely educate people, but they're they're really focused on making it easy for for people to do business and communicate. But the ultimate thing of this, the big reveal, is that 100% of these elite performers around the world did not look at themselves and judge themselves based on their career. Their career was the, oh, yeah, part of the conversation. That The very essence of their being was truly to serve others, and they actually said it. They said, yeah, we wake up every day and run to work to serve other people. Oh, yeah, I'm the largest tortilla manufacturer in Mexico. Um, Or, yeah, I get to come to work every day and and, and serve all these people. And, oh, yeah, we're the largest dairy farmers in Italy. Um, it, It became the oh, yeah part of it. So what most people look at is outwardly the career and the results of it. What these people were doing, which was what made them so great, is they were literally professing to the world. That they're here to serve people, and they run to work and they serve serve serve, and by doing that, their mindset was so clear, and their methodology their methodology excuse me was so just complete that they were able to grow at will because people were magnetized to them, people came running toward them, and it's really a series of promises and beliefs you know the promise of gratification, that we're truly grateful to be with you, the, the, the understanding that you can outsource success to them. They will do their work, but most, most of all, they're going to make their life easier You know, by, by the engagement, that they're creative and not competitive, that they exceed expectations at all times, and then most importantly, that they give for, forward without any expectation of anything in return. When all those things go into the soup, what we realize is that these servant leaders out there led with their heart And then they followed with their mind. And, oh, yeah, they were really good at their job. But it was all about touching others and serving others first, really with the attitude of gratitude and understanding that there's a a communication process there. And once we realized what it was, it was like angels were singing. We realized that that's the difference, that that's what separates all these great leaders apart from everyone else is absolutely the alignment of head and heart, leading with the heart, but understanding the the nature of gratitude and what you're really here to do and that's just to touch other people's lives and that ultimately became the secret to, to the whole thing
1: that's really fascinating. I love that story I, it brings up two questions for me and I would mm-hmm. ask you if this was part of your research or what your opinion is one would be why don't more people do this why don't wow. yeah um, why don't more people yeah,
0: that's a great question right do this. <laughs> but I, I think I think the simple answer is I think we're all wired to do it. I really believe that deep down inside of us, this cosmic thing that we are is wired to serve other people. But I think we get caught in the current of society, the current of the moment, that, uh, that what's happening right now, what I have to do. And because of that, you become mission-oriented and focused on, I've just got to get a job. I've just got to do my work. I've just got to clock in and clock out. I've just got to get my paycheck. And it becomes a repetitive action. And because of that, it numbs us away from that very, very being of who we are. Uh, when we get a chance to share this with people and talk to people about it and, and train and work with companies, it's very, very revealing. And when they finally get it, you can see the lights turn back on. And a lot of times people get very, very emotional, Sharon. I mean, it's it's wild to see people go, my God, this is what I've been missing. It's so simple. But again, they're caught up in the currents of society. They're caught up in a, a, a social structure that's trying to tell them just to do an action versus why they're doing the action. But the emotion comes out when they realize it was in them all along, they were just artificially suppressing it or society was suppressing it or they just forgot. And I think when people realize that it becomes an exponential change agent within them and the people that are around them, they start to see, wow, these, these, something's happening, something magical's here. It's really not. you're just being who you were built to be, but you're free now to do it.
1: Yes, when the lights come on in any any type of aha moment, it can be very um it can be very emotional when you realize that it could have been this way the whole time, or um, things could be different and can be different. and so I, I appreciate hearing that. The folks that you were studying, everyone that you were meeting, and where all of this came from, how did they learn to behave this way, or did they truly just never got warped away from that? who they were and just, or were raised in a way that this is how you are. Did you get to that point of the conversation and the research? Yeah,
0: Yeah, we did. And what was unique was that everybody was unique. Uh, There was always a story. There was always something or someone in each of their lives that either influenced them to be that way or an event led them to be that way. Uh, These people weren't like superhero rock stars just because they stumbled into it. Uh, they had their trials and their tribulations. They had things that were happening. Some of them were lucky. Some of them had, uh, say, maybe parents that taught them that from the time they were little, and they, they were able to take it and run with it. But they still had the same life that you and I and everybody else had, so, you know, the ups and downs and the highs and the lows, but they kept focused on that, that mission. So the answer to the question is everybody's different. Everybody came to that realization at different points in their life. But what was unique about these folks is that they became so immersed in it that it affected how most people graded them and that was their business. Most people still scorecard you by your business, your delivery, your, your, your fame, and your fortune. Well, they were able to become all of that through servant leadership, but it was never, ever, ever about them. It, even though they, they had the money, they had the fame, they had the, the whatever resources at their disposal, even that was never about them. Those resources were turned into serving other people. So they all had good lives; they enjoyed themselves. they weren't like living under a bridge or anything just to <laughs> prove the point, but at the same time, it was never ever about them. It goes back to that tenet I mentioned earlier that they give forward without any expectation of anything in return and uh, it allowed them just to serve more people. so the resources actually were you know part of the results, which they just turned it back into more opportunity to, to serve others. It's it, really a beautiful thing.
1: It is beautiful, and it makes me think of um, the, some of the laws of the universe that we don't really learn about at school because I'm not talking about gravity, right? The law of attraction, the law of return. Um, and yep. so it really this would be like the law of return. It's not A, a lot of people go – into world and to work into life thinking if i do for you you must do for me when it's really if i do for you right. somebody will do for me later it will return yeah. it just may not be from the same person you provided to. so if you can go into that situation with just the idea of giving without worrying about that person returning just knowing that it will be returned that's what we're talking about yep. here
0: well 100 in fact uh, one of the things i like to point out to people is what i like to refer to is the most misquoted thing in history And that's the golden rule. Ah. You know, everybody by the time they're five (laughs) learns that, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, Maybe in school today they don't teach it, but uh, I don't know. Well, that's uh, for another discussion another day. But, you know, the golden rule, the way most people are taught it, is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we get that, right? It's just treat people right. But if you break down that sentence and start really thinking about what it's saying, it is horribly selfish. Like if I said to you, Sharon, you're so awesome, Um, I'm going to send you a big old box of Omaha steaks because, man, I love steak, and I wish somebody would send that to me because it would be awesome for me to get a box of Omaha. So I'm going to treat you the way I would want to be treated. Now, I don't know if you're a vegetarian or not, but let's say you are. (laughs) And I knew that. How horrible is that? I'm (laughs) sending you a box of steaks because that's the way I hope somebody would do to me, and I don't care what you want. I'm just going to give this to you. And so if you think about it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is horribly selfish. Now, if you go back to Greek and Latin where they didn't have all the pretenses and the possessives uh, in in their language, it really is translated slightly different. Instead of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, it's do unto others as they would have you do unto them. In other words, treat people the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated. And when you start doing that and you run out and you realize that as a servant, I can just treat people the way they want to be treated, allow them to use their unique ability, create safe environments where they can perform at their highest doing what they want to do versus what I wish they could do for me. Then all of a sudden they've got permission. They become like this energy unit of servants, leadership themselves, and they just start expanding and expanding and expanding. So if you can create an environment where you're treating people the way they want to be treated, whether it's a customer, employee, a team member, or whatever, and you have a unified mission, you understand, oh, yeah, we're dairy farmers, or oh, yeah, we do this, you're going to be the best at doing that anywhere because your team is now perfectly aligned to treat people the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated.
1: That's really interesting. I've never heard the the other, you know, the proper the proper translation of um, of that of that saying. But it goes perfectly with some of the work I had been doing, where I was helping leaders understand their their people. And there's I, I use one assessment tool. Other people use other assessment tools. There's ways to go about figuring out who people are and how they want to be treated. But it was about hiring sure. hiring someone and putting them in a role that would honor who they are. Right. So if someone's really right, right. great with spreadsheets and loves spreadsheets and want nothing but to move something from column A to column B, well, don't put them in a role where they're creating, you know, graphical PowerPoints and being all creative and having to come up with, you know, all kinds of content right they're going to be miserable and if you have someone who's a visionary and loves to speak and lead and come up with new ideas don't put them in front of a spreadsheet just because of a job description or just because of a educational background it's finding the position for them and making sure they have the tasks that are aligned with who they are so that they thrive
0: Well, oh, absolutely uh, i tell a story a lot about my assistant sam who everybody who knows me knows sam because sam is my savior. She keeps me on track every day. Uh, I showed up to this call today because of Sam, but you know, she, she, she emailed keeps me like <laughs> doing and being where I'm supposed to be. But Sam worked here for a long time in marketing and, uh, she was good at it. Um, she was in social media and she did some things and, um, I needed a new executive assistant and she approached me and she said, you know, Hey, I'd like to apply for that job. And I said, Whoa, I said, wait a minute. I, said, I thought you were marketing. I thought you were a marketing person. She said, no. She said, I am literally at my best when I'm serving other people. And she said, all my skill sets about timeliness, organization skills, calendars, my ability to communicate with other people, it's always been about connecting people and making it work. And she said, all I've ever wanted to do since I was a little girl is be an executive assistant. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. She said, my mom was an executive assistant forever. And I always admired the way she cared for other people and helped people out. And she said, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And I was like, oh, my God. I said, we've had this wonderful talent here, this, this wonderful, incredibly smart lady working for us in the wrong job. Yeah. You know, she, she, she was doing great. She was performing. But, she, again, she was caught in a current. And then she raised her hand and said, this is who I really am. And it, it was a life-changing event for me, uh, in my professional life at least, where it was like, oh, my God. Now I am better because of her. And she's doing something that she can run to work every day and get excited about. And it's just a matter of aligning that. So you are 100% right in your work, you know, and how you got to put people in the job that's best for them. Allow them to be free to be them. And if they're good, wow, look at what's going to happen.
1: Absolutely. So, what do we need to do as a society or as leaders of this movement to get more people in leadership and hiring managers and HR who's in the mix and all of the levels of bureaucracy to understand how important this is? <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. What a question. <laughs> I you're pulling back today, aren't you? You're I guess you're bringing out the in. best
1: in me, Don.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good. No. Uh, you know, that is, uh, that is a loaded question, isn't it? Because uh, in most organizations, let's just look at societies as an organizational structure. Uh, if it was uh, big, small, middle, it doesn't matter. Uh, we would always say start at the top because if you, if you start in the middle and you get these people motivated in the middle – they're going to start looking up at the top and going, Hey, how come you're not doing this? You know, how come you're not able to be the people we want to be? And it actually kind of pulls them out. They go seek other places where they can truly be servants. So it's got to start at the top and the top has got to say, Hey, look, for whatever reason, I finally figured out I'm fallible. I'm finally figured out that there's more to this. Help me find purpose. Help me find what it is we're supposed to do other than, making money or making widgets or whatever, just help us figure that out. And when the people at the top figure it out and they say, Oh my God, that is what we're missing. Then you start pushing it down because they become leaders. They become better leaders, but they become leaders by example as well. And then people can say, I can, I can follow you. And I'll tell you, Sharon, what the most important part is, is when that happens, you get inspiration, not motivation. I I tell people all the time, I have no desire whatsoever to motivate you. None, because motivation runs out. Motivation's like a bath, you know. You can get in a shower this morning and get ready for the day, but guess what? Tomorrow you got to get back in there and do it again. You just got to do it. But inspiration when you inspire somebody, that goes on forever because literally the word inspire in I think in Latin means to breathe into. So you breathe this kind of thing into them where where they become different people and that they want other people to share in that feeling, you know, too. So where do you start in society? You start at the top. I mean that that's just all there is to it. And and you start by a judgment of yourself that's honest and is allows you to be free. But you look at yourself differently and say, what have I done for others today? And then you realize that when you're doing things for others, whatever you traditionally gauge yourself by starts to fall into place on its own. So it starts at the top. I hate to say it, but that's the only way to do it.
1: Where have you been all my life? And, the reason I say- <laughs> and the Sitting reason- by myself
0: at a table at a conference? There you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the reason I say that is you're saying these things that I have written, I've said, I wrote my book based on, I speak about, and I always felt like I was the only one or one of the few people and maybe we maybe we are just some of the few people who feel this way um, and believe in this, but know how true it is, because I've talked about the fish rots from the head, old Chinese proverb, and that, you know, yep. it's always top-down. And the reason I, you know, call my business C-suite results is because it has to start at the top. Even if the C-suite is just one person of a two-person organization or a three-person organization or whatever that looks yep. like, it, it's the head of the organization. It could be the family, the parents. It's, it's whatever. You know, the C-suite doesn't have to be a traditional, a traditional C-suite, but it is the top. It's right. the head because that's the only place that culture can actually come from, good or bad. The reason my book is called The Corporate Detox is because it needs to happen from – and it's written to that leader. It's because it's the top down. It has to happen from the top. So I just – I'm so inspired right now by what you're saying because I'm just like, oh, someone else who feels how I feel. I'm not alone. So thank you. Yeah.
0: No, no, you're not alone. But you know, people do know this. It's just hard sometimes to – put a structure around it. And uh, everybody loves sports metaphors, right? So what I always tell people is I said, this is a shocking statement for you being a sports fan, but let me tell you how life really works in professional sports and, and follow me on this, because I always tell them, I'm like, look, players, the people, the, the, all these million gazillion dollar performers that are out there, they can only get you to the playoffs. That's it. But players do not win championships. Coaches win championships. So think about that as a team sport. Players get you to the playoffs, but coaches are the ones, the very very top, who put it over the top to win the championship. And if you look at like say college football, Nick Saban with Alabama, you know he's had more, yeah, what nine national titles? I can't remember exactly what it is, but he's got players on his team today that just won the national championship that were in elementary school when he won his first national championship. So the players have changed over time but the top never did. And so you get new talent, you get all these awesome performers and athletes in there and they'll, they'll get you to the playoffs. You know, that's what they do, but they can't win championships. It's gotta be a coach wins the championships. That's why they talk about all these great coaches over time. And you'll hear players and say, Oh, well, what about Michael Jordan? Well, Michael Jordan also had the best coach at the time, you know, and and you start going to it. So the C-suite you're right. Drives everything. The C-suite sets the mission. They set the, the, the goal, and if they're leading by example and their servant leadership skills are where they're supposed to be, they're unstoppable. Okay, But if they're just trying to produce widgets and hit the bottom line, they'll do fine in the playoffs. But they're not going to win the championship.
1: That's fantastic analogy. I, I like using sports analogies, too, so I do think that resonates with many, many people. So you're back doing your PhD research. You're realizing that there's something special about these folks that you're meeting around the world. You get someone to fund it for you, which I think is awesome, by the way, that you, how you went about about doing that in that process of doing your thesis and learning all of this, what was, I don't know if it's, what was your aha moment, but what changed for you? What, what did you start doing differently or how did it impact you in that moment?
0: You know, it's, it's kind of funny, um, there were several. I mean, I don't think it stopped. It's like every day it was something new. And so if you look at me technically, I'm an economist. Okay, I'm a classically trained economist who shifted, shifted more because of my research to the behavioral side. So I'm a behavioral economist by, by trade. What really hit me was that my aha moment came when it wasn't always just about being a servant leader. It was also about being a respectful leader and how these people respected other people at a different level, but how they used tools to make that happen. Uh, like, they were experts in understanding why people make decisions they do. And if you think about that, you go, wow, wow, if you can figure out why people make decisions decision that they do, you can do anything, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. But, again, with the current society, most people will say, well, let's sell more products. If we can figure out why, then let's sell more products. Versus they were saying, no, let's hit our end goal because I know why these people make these decisions. So guess what? I'm going to respect that, treat them the way they want to be treated, and then I'm going to serve them. So it was almost like they led with respect so the door would open so that they could have this incredible moment of servant leadership. And that was one of the big ones, that it wasn't just, hey, you wake up every day, you you know, have a gratitude moment, and you follow this and you do this. It's a formula, you know. It was really more than that. It was about just respecting people for who they are and then creating that environment for them. Um and, and we teach that and it, it's kinda cool, but I, I guess that was the biggest one that it was just about, you know, not getting frustrated with people, respect people, and then go forward together as their as their servant and, and things are gonna happen.
1: That's excellent. I'm just kind of lost in listening to you kind of in this place of oh, this is this is just wonderful. And so I'm kind of Gotta remember that I'm actually here to have a conversation with you and, <laughs> and, and, and keep going. So for a second, I'm like, "Oh, it's my turn." <laughs> I'm just so like enthralled with everything you're saying, as I, I'm sure everyone listening right now is also going, "Wow, this is really." Inspirational, and I love how you explain the difference between inspiration and motivation. I think that's really important. As I go into what I'm going to call conference season, a bunch of conferences coming up uh, over the next several months, I'm speaking at, and I speak at technology yeah, you're conferences. Doing well with us too. Yeah, I'm doing By one with way, you. I, that, I'm yeah. totally yeah, excited we're about excited. that. <laughs> I am too. But you know, for everyone listening, and I, I speak at technology conferences, security conferences, because that's what I've always done. I've done information security, cybersecurity, but I'm really passionate about the leadership side. So when I speak at these conferences, it's on the leadership side. It's about creating the high performance team. It's about being a better leader. It's about getting away from the technology as we communicate with each other on our teams and and all of that. So some of the things you're telling me today will be working their way into my presentations. um, And I will probably be (laughs) reaching out to you to have more conversations because what you're saying is so important and just a, a, the nuance, the difference in what you're saying versus maybe some of the words I've used before are really important, with motivation versus inspiration, I think is hugely important. So I really appreciate hearing all of that from you today. I want to hear next, as anyone listening who's heard me before knows, is I want to hear your definition, the Don Barton definition of success. How do you know if something you've done has been successful? Or how do you benchmark success? Oh, it's
0: happiness. Happiness?
1: It. Happiness. happiness.
0: Happiness. Yeah. Uh, someone asked me the other day, they said, what do you want for your children? And I said, I want them to be happy. You know, that that means that I've been successful or haven't messed things up too bad as a parent, <laughs> but I just want them to be happy. And I, I look at that with our employees and, and our team members. I just want them to be happy because if, if we're doing something great together, happiness comes and, and happiness as silly as that might sound, you know, like put on your happy face. No, no, no. Be happy. You know, Um, success is happiness. And when you see a happy, inspired group of people, then however you got there, whatever you do, however you got them there, I think that was successful. So I just want happiness, you know, uh, in in everybody that we touch and everybody that we're around. And I I think that's it. That's my only goal.
1: I I love it for many, many reasons. But the main reason that I'll focus on is happiness right now for me is a huge focus because I know that when I'm in a happy place, better things happen. And I was just talking with someone else about this, how just by being happy, the opportunities show up. I was I had put forth to myself for the month of June the idea that I just need to focus on being happy, not focus on the next yeah. project, the next client, the next this, the next that. Just taking the time to appreciate and be happy for just no reason. Just be happy. And there's so much brain science, of course, behind it, which is not what we're here to talk about. But I love the topic. And the Monday was day one because it was the first, you know, day of June. um, That was a Monday. You know, not that I wasn't happy over the weekend, but, you know, sometimes I start these whole, Okay, this month I'm going to do this thing. And it's kind of like the first Monday, first full week. So as I digress, Monday, I'm just in a happy mood. I'm in a good place. Everything's going great. And that would be the same day, I believe, you asked me to come down to Atlanta to give the, you know, to be on your panel. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that same day, someone else asked me to give a talk at another co- conference. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I'm just, I'm happy. So yeah. I love how you say you success for you is if your team, let's say your team is happy, you know, you're doing something mm-hmm. right. You know, you're moving in the right direction. And I also look at it as when people are happy, the things you want, the results you're going after are more likely to happen anyways.
0: Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And happiness is a cousin to gratitude. You know, uh, I, I think happiness breeds gratitude. Uh, And gratitude is the fuel for servant leadership. And it all just kind of comes around in a a big cycle. So uh, that's cool. So you're doing something, like for 30 days, you're focusing on being happy, right? So you're creating a happy habit. A happy habit, exactly. You're changing your habit.
1: Yes. And I've done this before. You know, what's even funnier. This is this is to me just cra- this kind of stuff. Just when the, the when when I'll the, we'll just say the stars align kind of thing just cracks me up. So I'm looking at Facebook briefly. I think it was yesterday or two days ago. Might have been yesterday. I don't spend too much time on there. But you know how your memories pop up from three years ago or five years sure. ago. Well, a memory popped up, and it was a really long one, and I'm reading it, and it's all about basically happiness and how you are on the outside is based on who you are on the inside and all this stuff. And it was literally June 3rd or June whatever to three years ago, and I just started kind of cracking up. I'm like, how is it exactly three years ago to this day that I was in the same place I am right today? Focus on happiness, wow. right? So there's wow. obviously been wow. times between there that I haven't been. There's ups and downs. There's um, happy times. There's divorces. There's all kinds of things that happen yeah. over over that time period. But what's really interesting is three years ago to this literally this month that day, I was also talking about the same thing, and what that reminded me of is that when I do focus on it, so it's not really that I'm doing this for 30 days, I just wanted to spend the month of June focusing on it so that, yes, so that it becomes more ingrained, is that when I do these things, what happens is almost instantaneous. And I have spiritual yep. you know, leaders that I follow. And when I say spiritual, I don't follow organized religion. It's just not my thing. But spiritual leaders that, right. I, that I follow that you know, talk about law of attraction and happiness and what you think about and all of these things and how you can manifest so quickly when you're in that place, when you're, you're vibrationally in that oh, place. Yeah. And then when I do it, and I, and I actually put the resistance aside and I do it, it's like, holy crap. It's just instantaneous, and I can't. Ex- I can't yeah. explain it. And so, for people who've never tried it or have never really given stock to happiness, is you know whatever. Or, a lot of people take happiness as a result. When I have this, I'll be happy. They conditionally put happiness. Yeah. You know, when I happiness that, is
0: a choice.
1: And it, it's a choice. Yeah. So happiness has to come first, and the thing will come. Next. It's right. not when I have my right. Tesla, I'll be happy. It's when I'm happy, the opportunities will show up that I'm ready to take. They will give me the money to go buy the Tesla as a great example. Right. Um, but it's right. it's got to be the happiness first. And it's easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. And I really I don't watch the news. I try to spend very little time in that world because it's so depressing. And if I yep. want to know what's going on in the world, I ask my boyfriend because he loves the news and he's a news junkie and he just happens to be a happy person anyway. <laughs> Thank God. But yeah. I'm just like, what's going on in the world so I don't have to watch the news?
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you're saying, you know, you're making a choice and you're staying within your bubble uh, because it goes back to that very first question that you asked me. And I said, you know, you got society uh, and social currents pulling you away from what you're really meant to be. So you do have to block some of that stuff out uh, because society doesn't necessarily want everybody to be happy. And when you're not happy, then then they can justify why they're not happy. Yes. So, so yeah, uh, yeah, stay in your bubble. Don't watch the news. I agree. The news is not happy. <laughs> it's <laughs> so. not.
1: No, it's not. And, and I was just reading something the other day that the reason for that is because their ratings go flat if they report on happy stuff yeah. and good news. And that makes me sad because we're saying that by reporting yeah. on good, happy stuff, your rate ratings go flat. Really? People really want the negativity. And I just, I, I can't yeah. fathom why that, why, why brain sciencey, why we do that. But that's a call. I, I think
0: it's training. <laughs> uh, it, it's training. I think they're and conditioned over time uh, to, to think that. And, and going again, going back to your earlier question, You know, how do we do this? It starts from the top down. If you've got a top, uh, either C-suite or whoever, who says, look, we should really, we got a mission. You know, we have to do stuff. We have stakeholders, shareholders. You know, we got whatever. But you know what? We're going to go out there with an inspired organization of happy people serving other people. Then, boom, just the momentum will take you much, much farther than the weights and the anchors society is pulling you back with. Uh, whether it's a cosmic battle or what, I don't know, but I'm choosing the happiness. I'm choosing the gratefulness and I'm choosing a life of serving other people. And, you know, if you go do that, this magnetism starts happening. where are just like you and I mad. I don't know why that happened. I'm glad every one of those idiots got up and left your table. <laughs> and so I could come sit down beside you. <laughs> so, um, I don't know why, but you know what it did. And guess what happened? Two happy people found each other and it looks like we have a joint mission. How cool is that? It's
1: amazing. So I have to ask you, since we're talking about happiness being success, which I love, there still has to be times that things don't go right. And there's still what I don't know if you would use the word failure. I'd love to hear more about what your outlook is and what words you use. If something does not go as planned, the project doesn't go well, the client doesn't buy the whatever might happen. Is it a failure or is it something else? What do you call it and how do you deal with it?
0: Uh, I think it, failure is a fine word. I mean, it just is what it is. But the way you address failure is, is a lot different. Uh, the way we look at something—if we're doing a project and it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to—we always start with what did we do right. You know, let's look at this. Let's cheer. Let's get excited about this. What did we do right? Now, knowing what we know, looking backwards, you know, because you know, hindsight's better than 2020. Hindsight's microscopic. You know, you can get yeah. as granular as you want with hindsight. In hindsight. Not what did we do wrong? Never, never, never say that. We say, what could we have done better? So we look at things and say, what we do right? And what could we do better next time? And again, you stay focused on the mission. You stay focused on serving other people, on happiness, on gratitude. Um, it'll line back up. But there's times that things don't work out. Uh, and I tell you, uh, I was in interviewed the other day by something, and I said, you know, what, what's one of the hardest things to do? And I said, is to say no. You know, so you might have a good deal in front of you. And you go, just something's not right. It's going to take us off mission. It's not going to be what we want. So even though the money's great or it's all good, we're going to say no and walk away. And almost always, it could be three years, five years, 10 years, something's going to happen where you can go, wow, I'm so glad we passed up on that deal. Uh, because that path would have been different. Or look what happened to the people who did it. You know. Um, so sometimes failure, if you want to call it that, is a huge positive no matter what it feels like in the time. Because if you had taken that, then it might not have worked out the way you wanted it to. But by not taking it or not getting it, even if you didn't, you felt bad about it. If you say, what would we do right? What do we do better next time? That means the next opportunity is just another chance to do something great. So we don't look at it as horrible. We just, what do we do right? What do we do better next time?
1: I love it. Like I said, you are my other half, I think, because that's one of the things I talk about a lot is when even in the middle of a project, what's going well what's not going well or what needs to be done differently because a lot of times I think people focus on just the what's not working and pointing fingers. Right. Why isn't this working? And they st- don't stop to say, "But well, what is working? What can we do more of that is working so that we can do less of this other thing that's not working?
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, even you can say that all day long, though, it's still not a light switch. Uh, we had it's funny you said that we had a, a, someone on our team the other day uh, who was really kind of stressed. And I was so not like her. And I sat down with her and I said, what is wrong? What is going on? You're you're not happy. And she said, oh, look at all this stuff I'm behind on. And she had this list. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, okay, that's a bunch of stuff we got to get done. But look at what you've accomplished. And she looked at sort of, she had a giant whiteboard in her office. And all the things had been marked off. She wasn't looking at that. She wasn't celebrating success. She just kind of got sucked back into the current of, oh, you're not doing this. You're not working hard enough. Versus, no, no, look at the, look at the success that we, that we've had. Look at, let's, let's celebrate this. Let's don't get all frustrated about, you know, stuff that's not done. Let's celebrate what is done. Now we still have work to do, but don't let that negative thing affect you. And it, it was, it was tearful for her. She, she literally got teary eyed mm-hmm. and she said, oh my God, how could I miss that? That's- so you got to reinforce it all the time, you know, and do it because even though you get a happy, grateful servant leadership environment, those outside forces are going to get into every little crack and corner that it can, um, and you got to be able to adjust for that.
1: I love how you're leading by example, and you're doing so many amazing things. There's two things I want you to tell us because we're running out of time. One is my favorite thing I think I've ever heard anyone say, and at a conference or on a panel, I want you to tell our audience what your email rule is.
0: Oh wow, that, yeah, that's fun! That, that was that's funny. at that conference where you heard me say that. That's one thing when I said it, everybody wrote it down. I was like, wow, what's that? No, we have a rule here with our organization. We got about 300 employees, and we have a rule here with senior leadership that they are not allowed to send emails after six o'clock at night, nor on the weekend, to anybody. And the reason why is that because people are going to answer them. You know, they're all so connected, and everybody deserves their evening, and everybody deserves their weekend. So if you if you're sitting there working late at night, and you think, oh, well, I have got to send out these emails, and you do it. You're sucking these people back into the workday. You're not giving them their time. You're not allowing them to recharge and to, to live their life. And so they'll, they'll get back into that work mode. So we have a very, very purposeful rule here. No emails after 6 o'clock at night and no emails on the weekend from really any form of management hire to, to anybody in the company. Now, there is an asterisk there. Every once in a while something happens. You know? And, okay, you make the judgment call. The client has an emergency. If something's going on, if somebody's sick. Fine, do what you got to do. But as a rule, no emails, no text, nothing like that after 6 o'clock or on the weekends.
1: I thought that was and just And guess what? The world, the
0: world is still turning, by Yes, the way. and you're still in so- <laughs> business and you're the
1: oldest <laughs> oldest consulting company in Atlanta and it seems like yeah. you guys are doing just fine. So I think yeah. if if – My listeners took that one piece and just made that viral. Just everybody right now, unless you're driving, post that somewhere and get as many leaders as you can to get on board. I think that one is amazing. I just believe. Oh, cool. I I do. People, you know, we are so connected. And I have such a, I work for myself. I'm self-employed. And I still check email. I don't know why. And there's nothing's going to happen in the evening. I think. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get myself off of the habit of looking right. at at the stuff. It's just. It's just ridiculous. But I think it's great yeah. that you guys are at least not. You know, putting more out there for for your people. So I think that's amazing. So that was question number one. Oh, thank you. Thank you that I wanted. Um, that I wanted you to tell everybody about because I thought it was amazing. The other is because we're going to wrap up here. What's you can do it two, one of two ways. Either the best piece of advice you've ever been given that you want to share. Or something that's a Don Barton original that you just think up-and-coming leaders, C-suite leaders, leaders in general, the one thing that if, other than the email thing, if they took away from this conversation and could be inspired by, what is that for you that you want to share?
0: Well, wow, there's two, two. Two sayings that I think creep into my life every day in, in leadership. Uh, and number one is, and this is sort of harsh, but it's, it's so true. And that is that you can't expect anyone to do anything for you if they're not willing to do anything for themselves. And there's just times from a leadership perspective where you're going to have to make decisions on hiring, on deploying people, on doing whatever. And if your people are inspired, if they're in that safe team network and that environment where they know that you're here to serve people toward a greater mission, then that's not going to happen because they're going to take care of themselves and they're going to be able to take care of you. But if you're outside and you don't have control of the variables or say somebody's listening to this show and they're a manager at a company, and they don't have any control over it. You just get a team dumped in front of you. I think a very realistic approach is to, to just admit, nobody's going to do anything for me. Nobody's going to follow me if they're not willing to do anything for themselves. So sometimes people have to get happy themselves. Sometimes people have to do something on their own in order to do it. But as you move up into the C-suite, if you can set that environment, then you can accomplish anything with it. So it's sort of a where are you in phase of life and corporate life or whatever that, that, that applies. So, so I think that's, that's important. You can't expect anyone to do anything for you if they're not willing to do anything for themselves. That's number one. And number two, from a leadership perspective, a C-suite especially, is that you can either lead or you can be in charge, but you cannot do both. And a lot of especially small businesses or middle-sized businesses, the, the C-suite tries to get in the weeds, and they try to do all this stuff. And they have everybody reporting up to them. And the reality is great leadership is completely different than being in charge. Great leadership is about inspiration. It's about setting the charge. It's about being a visionary and people following you. It is not about being in charge. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, especially if they own their own business, um, I think they 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 stumble with that one, that they try to be both. And and once you realize, and to, to your credit, what you said earlier, you find somebody who's great at being in charge and that's what they run to work every day to do let them do it you go be the leader you set the pace you do everything and then you can envision the future differently let somebody else be in charge so lead or be in charge but you can't do both and I think those things when they combine if you have a true heart and a mindset of a servant leader you want people to be happy you want to spread gratitude around I think you can accomplish anything in this world
1: this is amazing. This conversation went so quickly. I cannot believe we're out of time. I could keep going forever with you. So I'm excited that I'm going to see you in August. I'm actually going to be in Atlanta twice. Me too in a couple week period between your event and another event. So who knows? I might be able to see you twice. And Love to see you. this was excellent. So Dawn, thank you so much. We're going to make sure our listeners have all your contact information within the show notes so they can reach out to you. They can find your book. They can just, you know, if they have questions or want to connect to you on LinkedIn, that they can. So all that information will be there. I am so grateful that those idiots, like you said, got up from the table and went and, sit with, <laughs> and, went and sat with the cool kid. <laughs> I was yeah. never the cool <laughs> kid ever. So, I, you know, I'm used to not having everybody sit with me. So it was just excellent that they all got up and that you sat down. It was just, I uh, couldn't be better. Thank you so much for being well, on the show.
0: Thank you. You make me happy. Aww, so I appreciate it.
1: Be happy. Thanks. Thank you so much, Don. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day.
0: Like what you just heard, visit c sweetradiocom C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business.